0: Hi, everyone. Every Friday on Third Degree, I talk with a rotating cast of some of the nation's top law students about breaking legal news, compelling cases, and what it means to lead a life in the law. Those Friday conversations are part of the Cafe Insider membership. The Monday and Wednesday episodes are available for free in this feed. Cafe Insiders enjoy access to exclusive content, including the Cafe Insider podcast, co-hosted by Preet Bharara and Joyce Vance audio essays from CAFE's slate of contributors, including me, bonus content from Stay Tuned and Doing Justice, live events, and plenty more that we have planned for you. You can try out the membership free for two weeks and for a limited time, get 50% off the usual price for an annual membership. Just head to cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider and use the code DEGREE. And now on to the show. From Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Third Degree. I'm Ellie Honig. We are now just a bit over 120 days out from the January 6th Capitol insurrection. And yet it feels like it all happened 120 years ago. We vowed at the time, we vowed the date would live in infamy. We'd never forget. There would be full accountability for any and all who had anything to do with this. Our capital was stormed by a violent mob trying to overturn an election and interrupt the peaceful transfer of power. We would never let it slide. Well, now here we are a few months out. And I'm really not so sure. If anything, it seems our collective memories are short. And despite the rhetoric, many of our public officials seem to have little appetite or perhaps ability to take meaningful, responsive action. So we're going to go on a little bit of a rampage today. And we're going to go through the public officials, and there are many of them who thus far have failed or worse in their response to January 6th. First of all, the Department of Justice. Attorney General Merrick Garland came into office, and you may remember this, saying all the right things about January 6th. At one point during his confirmation, he was asked if he'd follow those cases upstream. Here's his response. We begin with the people on the ground, and we work our way up to those uh, uh, who are involved and further involved. And uh, we will pursue these leads uh, wherever uh, they take us. Well, thus far... The action has not matched that rhetoric. I know it's only been about seven weeks since Merrick Garland took office, but we're moving beyond the it's still early phase. We're not yet at too late, but we're now solidly in the what's going on here phase. The criminal cases we've seen so far have been, and I'll be kind here, uninspiring. The numbers look decent enough on the surface. DOJ has already brought charges against over 400 Capitol rioters. They tell us they expect about 100 more. That's good but it's hard to look past what's missing. No real powerhouses who supported, encouraged, incited, have been charged, or even apparently are under any kind of meaningful criminal investigation. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Ron Johnson, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. Remember, Merrick Garland said, we work our way up to those who are involved, but he seems to be more in the mind of picking the low-hanging fruit and laying off the big shots. It's possible, DOJ is investigating the big shots, but we've not seen a single indicator that that's so. Second of all, we've not seen a single sedition charge, plenty of trespass charges, breaking and entering type charges, nothing for sedition, even though that law quite plainly applies. It applies to any effort to disrupt the governmental function. What were they doing here trying to stop the counting of the electoral votes or to take over a federal building without authority? The Capitol, of course, being a federal building, they did not have authority to take over. Yet still no sedition charges, no charges yet relating to the planning of bombs by the RNC and the DNC. There's a surveillance video. It's been released and they're surely trying, but no results thus far. No murder charges, though that's gotten more complicated, as we'll discuss in a bit. Now, some of this has been obscured a bit. Because there have been a few headline-grabbing cases against what I'll call the celebrities of the January 6th riot. This QAnon shaman idiot with the fur and the horns. There's the guy who put his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Look, those cases are fine and good, and they need to be made. But these are not serious players, and these are not the heavy charges that we need to see. I know I was a prosecutor for 14 years. This stuff takes a lot of work. I know DOJ can't just snap its fingers and crack cases and churn out indictments. I used to say, look, this isn't a McDonald's drive-through. But what I've seen thus far, the actual charges, the tangible results are not impressive and not sufficient. DOJ has a lot of work to do and the clock is ticking. Next up is Congress, the legislative response. I'm going to start by throwing you a curveball here. I'm going to start by actually praising Congress. It seemed at the time that the House of Representatives took necessary and decisive action when it impeached Donald Trump very quickly over January 6th. And the Senate, though it didn't convict, made a fairly strong statement when 57 senators voted to convict Donald Trump, including seven Republican senators, which was, of course, by far the most senators of any party who've ever voted to convict a president of the same party. So overall, Congress really did the best it could have done To impeach and try and very nearly convict Donald Trump. They did it swiftly and they made a clear record for history. And let's remember, even many of those Republican senators who refused to convict made no actual excuses for what Donald Trump did. They just fell back on this bogus constitutional argument that you can't try a former president. I don't even think they truly believed in it, but it was an off ramp. That's the good news for Congress. The bad news Is the utter refusal or inability to do anything since then, even what would seem to be the most obvious no-brainer move of all, forming a commission to investigate and report on what happened? What, you may ask, could possibly be the downside of this? How could anyone be opposed to a commission? The answer, of course, as it often is on Capitol Hill, is pure politics, the ugliest kind. See, a bit of a dynamic has emerged here. Some Republicans want to just move along, sort of pretend it never happened or it wasn't a big deal or maybe worse than that. So rather than sign on to this seeming no-brainer of a deal to form a bipartisan commission, the Republicans have come back with this complete and utter non-sequitur of, well, if we're going to do a commission, they also have to investigate Black Lives Matter protests. This is every bit as stupid and transparent as it sounds. These two things have nothing to do with one another one should in no way be conditioned on or related to or even mentioned with the other. If someone wants to go ahead and investigate the protests from last year, those that turned violent, okay, maybe there's some legal, political way to do that. But it has nothing to do with figuring out what happened and what went wrong on January 6th or how to prevent another January 6th. Crazy as it seems, we now actually might not even get a January 6th commission to the benefit of nobody beyond essentially a small handful of Republicans who want to make like it never happened. Which brings me to the third point and the most damaging of all, January 6th, revisionism or denialism. This nonsense is really starting to take hold. We knew this would happen. We knew Donald Trump would try to spin it, deny it, change reality. He started on January 6th itself, And Trump and his defense team predictably did that throughout the impeachment process. But the effort has continued. And if anything, it's picked up steam lately. Here's what Kevin McCarthy said shortly after January 6th. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. Well, guess whose tune has changed just a bit since then? Here's McCarthy the other day on Fox News. When I talked to President Trump about, I was the first person to contact him when the riots was going on. He didn't see it. What he ended the call was saying, telling me he'll put something out to make sure to stop this. And that's what he did. He put a video out later. This is exquisite BS on about three different levels. Of course, Trump saw it. McCarthy urged Trump to call it off, and Trump refused. That video that McCarthy's talking about did no such thing. If anything, it praised rioters and thanked them for what they had done. McCarthy's far from alone. We've seen some of the usual suspects, Ron Johnson, Matt Gates, suggesting it was actually other people. It wasn't real Trump supporters. What is just a bunch of liars? I mean, geez, if only there was some way to tell. Like, if only there was videotape of the mob literally waving flags that said T-R-U-M-P, which were all over the place, wearing gear that said Trump, chanting things like, fight for Trump. It's on the videotape. You can't change reality later. Other people are claiming, including Johnson and Gates, the mob wasn't armed. It wasn't seriously a threat. It didn't do much real damage. Now, People are opportunistically seizing on a new development relating to the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick to try to suggest that January 6th as a whole never happened. Of course, you've probably heard by now the medical examiner report has come out and it shows that Officer Sicknick died the following day, January 7, of strokes and natural causes. No doubt that complicates a potential murder charge. It's not clear if prosecutors can still prove causation between Sicknick being attacked and sprayed with bear spray in the face and his death, or even if there was causation. So no question, this makes it a lot harder to charge murder. But some are trying to take this new fact and equate it with an all-encompassing claim that January 6th didn't happen or wasn't a big deal. What happened to Officer Sicknick, whether him being assaulted, he undoubtedly was assaulted, caused his death or not, is a medical and legal question. It should not be allowed to stand as a rallying point for January 6th denialists. And this all ties together, of course, because the best and maybe the only way to combat this revisionist lunacy is through official action, making an indelible record that cannot be denied. That means DOJ doing its job and bringing all necessary and appropriate criminal charges, including the heavy ones, including against the heavy hitters, And that also means Congress doing its job and creating a lasting report and document like the 9-11 Commission report that memorializes history. So if DOJ and Congress fail to do their job, then this kind of dangerous denialism and revisionism might well prevail. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Third Degree. Stay with us. We got another episode coming for you on Friday. And as always, please send us any thoughts, comments, or questions to letters lettersatcafe.com. Third Degree is presented by Cafe Studios. Your host is Ellie Honig. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The technical director is David Tadashur. The audio and music producer is Nat Wiener. And the cafe team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Sam Ozer Staten, Noah Azulai, Jake Kaplan, Jeff Eisenman, Chris Boylan, Sean Walsh, and Margot Malley.